Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. everyone, this is Andy Richter, uh, and I am here again with another episode of The Three Questions, and I'm, I'm going international today. I'm speaking to <laughs> someone in the UK, uh, eight hours away, I believe, Ada, and, uh, yeah. and it is the, the uh, very talented and funny uh, actress, writer, uh, you want to throw anything else on there? Are you? Yeah, uh, you know, musician and uh, bottle washer. Musician, bottle washer, uh, mini driver. Hi, how are you? I'm good, Andy. Uh, I'm good. Yeah. And um, are you spending all your time in the UK now, or are you in no. LA? No. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I. I commute from Los Angeles to London, and it. I think it must annoy the planet, <laughs> and also my pocketbook. Yeah. But the reality is, I've found at this point in my life. The, the the Pacific Ocean is is sort of my side piece. It's like my lover. Yeah, I can't really be away from it and happy for a very long time. But my son is the great love of my life, and he is at school here in England. So I really I I kind of ricochet back and forth. And it's it's great. What made you decide to put him in school in England as opposed? It to was California? COVID. The the, oh. the the schools remained shut uh, in twenty twenty in in California. And my son said in the summer, is there any way that I could go to school for a semester with my cousins in England? And because tons of people had moved out of London because of the pandemic, mm -hmm. there were spots in local schools and he just went to a local school and he really, I don't know what it is, Andy, like this is a Malibu born and raised Californian child who just, you know, the rain and the cold and the the inside nature of England appealed to him. And uh, he it probably just, seems exotic. Yeah, I think know? that's exactly, I think all the green and all the rain and all of the nobody worrying about, you know, one minute showers. I think he was like, this is <laughs> great. <laughs> I want to stay here where, you know, it's so cold, you know, it never actually gets light between November and March. It's actually dark pretty much all the time. It's yeah. very odd. That's what, yeah. yeah, that's what I, that's what I've heard. And it seems like why there's so many happy expats here in California. That's, who, that's exactly right. I don't even care if they work. They just are happy. Yeah. To, and they to all do seem to end up by the ocean. Like they, yeah. there's, there's not a lot of Silver Lake UK people. No. They're all by the ocean. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. You, if you move to California, why would you not live by the sea as we call all bodies of water? Yeah. We don't now, have oceans. Well, you you grew up tropically, did you not? Sort I did. of. Yeah, I grew up part 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 of the time in Barbados in the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. And why why was that? I mean, let's get to the where well, were you born part. I was well. I was born in England, yeah. and we spent a lot of time in Barbados. I think primarily, my father fell in love with the island after the Second World War, in which he flew. Um, he was he was 18 in the first deadly uh, air battle of the Second World War, which was a, a, an air battle called the Battle of Heligoland Bight in 1939. He was 18. And he was wrecked by the war. He was a war hero. He saved the four men in that particular battle's lives. And at the end of the war, he somebody took him, someone who cared about him deeply, took him to this beautiful island and it's where he healed. And 
he always said, like, this is where I'm going to come when I'm when I've made my fortune and figured out my life. I want to come back here. And he did it. He did do that. Yeah. It was much, much later in the in the in the early 70s. Um, and so that was it was where he loved to be. And so he built a home there. And when and we were all together there. And then when my parents split up, that's where I would go to, me and my sister would go to be with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had this kind of alternate, very uh, tropical childhood in part. Is there something unique to Barbados as opposed to the rest of the Caribbean? Or do you think it's just because that's where he happened to go? I think it's where he went, but I think there is something that is common to the Caribbean, which is the notion of taking care of each other and mm-hmm. family. And if someone is struggling, the community will fold around that person and help them. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what happened to dad was he was enfolded by this community in Barbados that helped put him back together. And what was, you know, at the end of the Second World War, PTSD had a, a different acronym. It was actually, PTSD was called LOMF, which stood for lack of moral fiber. It was, there was no, there was no therapy. There was, they'd stick you in a wheelchair with a blanket over your lap and have you look at some green fields. There was no, and in Barbados, I think there was, um, there was kindness and there Mm -hmm. was feeding you spiritually and literally and, um, and friendship. Did he ever get to talk about, you know, sort of go through a therapeutic, uh, you know, a a talking therapeutic kind of No, I don't believe so. Yeah, I only found I honestly only found everything out on this documentary that I did called "Who Do You Think You Are?" This genealogy show that I did. I did it in England, even though the show is on in the states as well. And I, really, my father had never spoken about throwing away his medals, never telling anyone about being a war hero, the survivor's guilt, the mental anguish that he'd suffered through his life. Yeah. which was played out in his war record. You could see where he'd have these breakdowns and the, you know, the Royal Air Force were amazing. They stuck by their men and women and they took care of them. But he, he suffered hugely and I, I didn't know any of that growing up. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I got the chance to work with Robert Altman and and when he died, I found out a little bit of his past and he he very similar to your father when he was about 18, he was flying missions in the Pacific where you'd take off from the ground where it was 101 and go up to where it was five below. And, you know, the, the odds of you dying by the, the end of his run was something like there was a 30% chance you were going to survive. And there was, wow. a you know, 70% chance you were going to die. Yeah. And it's just so interesting to then see him come back and not give a shit about what anybody <laughs> says, because as a young man, he looked death in the face repeatedly. And so to come back and say, oh, you can't do this and you have to live up to that. He felt, well, fuck you. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't believe you. You know, yeah. I think it's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. You, did your dad have that same kind of rebellious you know, streak, I think? I wonder. I mean, I think, yeah, he was a, a complete maverick. I think it played out behind the scenes. It played out in what he you know, he came from very, very, very humble beginnings. And he really lived the life of, he made, you know, he made a fortune at one point in his life. He was extremely successful, but I think he always had this imposter syndrome. Mm. And I think he always had massive survivor's guilt. But I think he took risks because he'd taken the greatest risk and survived. I mean, he really was one of five men who came back from this, this one particular battle where uh, 15 airplanes went out, five men apiece, and four men made it back. And my dad wow. was one of them. So it was really, um, yeah, I think he took risks. What did he make his fortune in? Well, finance. Yeah. He, it turned out, you know, this kid who, I mean, he barely went to school, but he left school when he was 12. But mm. it turned out he had a knack for numbers. And he started out in finance and then went into insurance. Um, but he was completely, I mean, self-made in the, in, in the, in the, you know, the real honest to goodness way that people are self-made, like, mm-hmm. um, just with an, just with ambition that didn't have 
I think, any form because there was no scaffold to to hang that upon. Yeah. But rather he went along with the experiences of his life and certainly in post-war England, he, um, I think if you were a war hero also it was people sort of, they took you more seriously, the cl- the, the the class system in the same way that at the end of the First World War, it it didn't exist in the same way that if you were a war hero and you were from humble origins, you could sort of rise above you your could rank. Open, yeah, it opened yeah. up. Yeah. And there were no young men left. So aristocratic girls could basically hook up with working class boys like my dad who had got medals and were these heroes because that was somehow, you know, that was allowed. Mm-hmm. Was your mom one of those aristocratic girls? Not at all. Oh, no. okay. He, I thought he maybe married, you were you were you no. were segueing there. No. no, 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 no. But your mom no, was no, no, no. artistic, yeah. She was like, yes, in, yeah. My mother was a, was an amazing artist, a literal artist, and a very creative human being, um, and uh, very funny, very beautiful. He really, um, my dad said he would always, whenever they'd go to dinners together, he'd always find people. Um, changing the little name cards on the dining table so that they could sit next to her. Oh, wow. She was always finding, um, yeah, she was really, she, they were both, they were really, they were really, um, they were amazing people. Mm-hmm. And they, and what time did they, or um, what, uh, at what age did they split of your age? Uh, I was six. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was little. Um, and my sister was eight. Yeah. Yeah. Was that a tough adjustment to then sort of go from the, I mean, it seems like a very facile question. I mean, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, yeah, it was. It was Especially with the easy. geographic difference. Yeah. I mean, that was, there was a huge, there was a huge economic and geographical difference. Like when we, when they broke up and we were now with my mom and her, she married, she had to marry the guy that she was, that she was seeing because, um, in 1976, you could, she was not married to my father and oh. we were made wards of court. And it was in this incredibly arcane, hideous fashion. The judge told her that um, in order to maintain custody of her, she had to be married, own her own home and have us in school um, in about eight weeks. Wow. So she did all those things. Like she she did it. Um, but we then found ourselves very quickly in a in a totally different landscape. It was mm-hmm. extremely unfamiliar and weird. And back in the UK, mm. which part? In Hampshire, in, in Hampshire, in in the countryside, which is in the southwest of England. Is that where she was from? Did she go back to like her family? No, it was near the school that she could get us into, which was the school ah. that she went to. And she, you know, as alarm and and as sort of begging, she was like, "Please, will you take my kids?" And it was also, you know, a really amazing school. And she, I think she wanted us to to at least have this same creative experience that she'd had. But it was How, it was definitely really tricky to begin with. Were you aware of this, of what had happened? Like, were you aware of the pressure that she was under to get remarried and, and no. move? And yeah, she kept that from you guys. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, no, we were far too little to, yeah. to, to really be able to grasp. But it was certainly an, a, an adjustment. I imagine too, going from a life on Barbados to England. What was that like for little? Well, we lived in London. Like we, we definitely we traveled a lot as children. Oh, okay. We lived in a in a in a lot of different places. So you know, we it was really just another different place. But it was radically different to anything we'd ever. You know, my mother had no money, and we were living in a cottage that barely had indoor plumbing. I mean, it was it was it was pretty. Um, it was pretty grim and it was certainly incredibly cold. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. You, you, your kids are very adaptable. Yeah. You know, for, for better or worse. Yeah. Um, you get used to stuff, even if it's not comfortable. You get used to yeah. it quite quickly. I think at that age, too, I think there, there does come an age where kids aren't so adaptable. Like, you know, I think, you know, I grew up where, a hotel meant a motel when meant, you know, the right. holiday Inn. But like I remember one time I took my daughter 
somewhere and we stayed in a not so great place and you could really you know, she really was showing her her privilege because she's like oh my right. god this place is a dump and i was like this is perfectly fine you do not have nice. a good frame of reference yeah. exactly you know? exact, exactly yeah. um i think it's good to know what is um i think it's good to know hard things i think it's how you know when things are really really good yeah, and uh, and not even not necessarily hard things. Just you know, L.A. kids from a private school, just regular things. You know, yeah. that, like to just learn like what regular school is actually yeah. like, as opposed to this incredibly state of the art education that a kid will get here. Um, yeah, and- yeah. So what uh, what kind of kid were, were you and your sister? Did you kind of w- did that really pull you together when when there was the split and you kind of ended up in the country? And, well, and were you then at one po- at one place? Did the t- traveling sort of stop, or were you yeah. still sort of yeah? Yeah, yeah, we were there, and um, you know, we were. It, it was yeah. We always had each other. We're very, very, very different people. Me and my sister, um, very different. But she always looked out for me. Um, and, um, we were quite lone wolfy though, both of us. Um, we, um, we fit into the school in different ways. I think it took slightly longer for me to, it took a lot longer for me actually to kind of be settled. Uh, I don't, I, I wasn't very good at being at school. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was the was the school? Uh, you know, I mean, I don't really know what the UK education system is like. Is it? Well, this is a very different school. It's a very it's a very progressive. It was a very it is a very progressive school. Um, very creative, very nurturing. Um, uh, a lot of animals. A lot of outdoor work. A lot. Of, oh wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So I loved all of that, but it kind of made it harder to go and actually sit in a classroom and be pay attention. Um, but, uh, I was, I was pretty wild. I was pretty feral, uh, person. I think I still am actually. Um, Do you have, do you have attention issues? Well, no, I can focus. I can, but I prefer to be outside at all Mm -hmm. times. I being inside feels weird to me and it's what I find most difficult about England is that so much has to take place inside because it is dark and cold and wet most of the time yeah um and I'm just I do my best thinking outside walking or swimming um I can organize my thoughts I can plan my days like it's really it's really strange like I sitting down at a computer is my worst nightmare Uh uh-huh but you just you wrote a book I know I did. How it. did you do that? I well, I started I, it in COVID. I, you know, I like started a mystery when, to me. I just don't understand how people can sit in front of a computer that long. It that was horrible. However, yeah. I did it in stints. Like I realized, I realized that the max I could genuinely the max that I could do in a sitting was like three hours. And mm-hmm. I was like, if I do three hours, and if I make that my thing, and if I do that every single day, I will write this book. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like many hours, actually. But the reality is, if you really, really are focused in that time, you kind of make it count. And some days would be better than others. But I'm very disciplined. I mean, I think that's just being an actor. You do become, I think if you're lucky, you become really disciplined about yeah. doing the stuff that you say you're going to do. But I can't sit down. Three hours was insane and insanely long amount of time to stay sitting down. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh getting back to to um to to school. Um did, were you a were you a demonstrative child? So did that lead to doing theater stuff or were you shy or you know? No, I wasn't shy. Um yeah. I was I was uh no, I was very I was very ex I mean extrovert, I suppose, but just very articulate. I think very emotionally articulate from an early age. I could really um I could articulate emotion mm-hmm. um easily. And that you know, that that really and then loving reading and loving books 
and loving writing that that came the kind of became the confluence of of acting I realized there was an actual name for what it was I I could do there was this thing in the school that I went to really supported all these different and it wasn't about you know it wasn't like the best kids did all of this or you had to be particularly arty everyone was kind of encouraged to explore what they like to do to do something um, creative yeah and so I um, did that do you remember the point at which you discovered like oh acting is what I like was there one point or did it just kind of creep up on you? You know, I mean, honestly, from the first minute, I think the first thing that when I got there, when I was like six years old, was they they said, right, we're going to devise a play and you just have to think of a character and a prop and then we're going to make a play out of all of those characters and all of those props. Wow. And I, it was really interesting. I, I wanted to be the narrator. I didn't even know why I knew what a narrator was. But I wanted to be and I wanted to have a rocking chair. So I was a narrator in a rocking chair. I want the most lines and I want to sit down. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) I know what I want to do. No blocking for me. No blocking for me. I want to sit down and I want want to say the most. That's exactly right, Andy. (laughs) Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Can't you tell my love's a growing? You're a singer too, so I mean, because that's yeah. sort of, I mean, that was sort of, I th- wasn't that sort of where you sort of first started. Yeah, it was what all you part first of started that. to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. It was all. I mean, again, that I think it's really interesting, and maybe it's uh, it's it certainly has stayed in the whole of my life that there's this whole there's no stay in your lane. Like mm-hmm. weirdly, there weren't there weren't this notion of jocks and theater kids and nerds and that it was, it was sort of like everybody did, everybody did their thing and you, Mm -hmm. you, and, and there was this level of respect around that. So I, I played a lot of music because we were all, by the way, whether you were a, a science kid or a sort of more creatively arts driven, we all had to play music. There was just a big belief. And I, I think it's been, proven like your brain is the same part of your brain that governs your relationship to mathematics is musical also i think i would have benefited from benefited from a little more sort of forced to do it you know it was sort of an option and i just with i have a terrible attention problems and so it just never and i'm bad at math and that i think those two things together i do too i mean i'm hard you know yeah I'm bad. At, I'm bad at math, but I'm good at music. And but I I know that they're the same thing. Music yeah. is just fractions. You know, yep. a fifth yep. in a chord. It's literally it is a fraction of a chord. Yep. Like it's sets of numbers that just repeat. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. And if you play, I mean, I play without. I don't read. I mean, I can read music to sing, but sitting, I can't sit down on a piece of of music and play the piano. But I can play songs. I can play songs that I connect with and can sing. Yeah. I can play them on. My guitar, but I think it's a different, it's a sort of different skill set. But anyway, at the school, you were encouraged, if you want to do music theory, do music theory. If you wanted to just play and figure that out. And so I did a lot of, I did a lot of music and a lot of connecting thoughts to both music and then writing, um, whether it was stories or poetry or plays. Um, it, and it all was this, you know, from the same crucible. I don't, I just don't believe in the whole stay in your lane thing. I think it's so limiting and ridiculous. And um, it, I, 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 the, the, it's always seemed to be quite threatening when people do more than one thing. In our culture, like both in America and in England, it was certainly really unseemly in England yeah. to, to be seen to be doing more than one thing. It felt it was, you know, culturally greedy. Yes. Um, yeah, um, and also, uh, you know, there is that kind of, I mean, it's. I think it's a similar thing in England, but it's here. It's. It seems to be very uh, in certainly in the Midwest. 
Uh, I heard it referred to in New Zealand as the tall poppy syndrome, which is if you grow higher than the other flowers, they cut you down so that because they like uniformity. And that was the phrase in the Midwest is always don't toot your own horn. Yeah. Which is like, well, what's the point of having a horn if you're not? Yeah. Why give me a horn if I can't toot it? Yeah. Come on. They're like, stop um, playing but, with your horn. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I mean, I think there is that, that, and it's, you know, there's part of it. Humility is nice, but, you know, a, a false humility based on fear is, is kind of sick. I, I, I agree. I mean, I also don't think that, that humility and creative expression are mutually exclusive. Like, yeah. I really, they are, there is, it's, it's not just about being, the sort of the loudest and the most attention seeking, but rather, you know, a child who understands how to express themselves and then expands from that point. And that might, that might mean that they're not going to go on and be like on the stage or in movies or, but that they, but that they've been given the space to have a sense of self. So they, um, so they understand the difference between arrogance and humility. So Mm -hmm. they, you know, experience what, what that looks like. As you uh, as you grew up, you know, when you went from teen into young adult, did you looking? Did you like the path that you chose? Was the did you choose the path, or was it chosen for you? Yeah, no, I definitely chose the path. I mean, I was I was on that. I mean, I don't remember ever deciding to be. I just I, like deciding to be an actor or a musician. It sort of it was so hardwired into who I was. There was never any question that that's what I was going to at least try and do. But I didn't, I didn't have any alternative. It's not like I went to university. I, 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 I went, I went through the whole thing going, this is what I'm going to do. And when I left the drama school that I went to, which is, you know, like a conservatory, instead of going to university, I went and studied acting and music and, um, and all this stuff, and I was the only kid to graduate without getting a theatrical agent. You know, nobody was buying whatever I was selling. Oh, like, wow. They were like, no, this is, this is just not good, and did we agents, don't want any part of it. Did they come to school shows? Oh, yeah. Did they yeah, come yeah, and yeah. Oh, pluck yeah. people and you, out of the, yeah. I've, I've got lots of these letters. I mean, I've got all of them, actually. You know, we're, um, thank you so much for considering us for, your representation, or you know, we currently uh, uh, have a lot of young people on our books, and um, <laughs> no room for one more. I mean, it was properly no room at the end, but um, yeah, I uh, I really was. I came to this kind of dead end. I was like, this can't. How is this happening? At yeah, twenty. Going to say, how did that feel? What did you? It was terrible. What, what were you thinking? Was, yeah, I, rem- I I will never forget waking up the after my last show, and there was no interest, and I come home to this tiny apartment I lived in, and my mother had dropped me off, and she I was like, what am I going to do? And she's like, I'm going to have to go and get a job so you can pay your rent. And I remember waking up that next morning, and you know that sort of moment where you're like, oh, it's a lovely new, and I suddenly remembered my whole life had ended the night before. Right. <laughs> and there was this vertiginous feeling of complete freefall of just, yeah. I have no idea what I am going to do. I have no idea. I've exhausted every idea that my young brain was told, this is how you proceed in this profession. So I just, I carried on, you know, I, I, I sang in, I sang in like dinner jazz. Yeah. And, uh, I was part of this, which was so lucky that I could do that and nobody paid attention. Like, it's how I really learned to sing because that's when you really learn to sing is when no one's listening. Yeah. And you can fuck up and, and figure out songs because people are so busy talking and eating. I always um, went, <laughs> there was one time uh, here in California having dinner and they, they had sort of that little jazz trio in the corner playing and yeah. I there was this moment where because you know it you do tune them out you're there to eat dinner and totally. you didn't say <laughs> is there going to be a jazz trio you just were like is there going to be dinner and and I but I remember hearing 
really just like the guitar, who, whoever was playing guitar just grabbed my ear and I was like, wait a minute and had to turn and look like that guy is really, really good. And I think it was just from being in show business. I thought, oh my God, imagine being that good at something that takes that much work and being ignored by assholes like me, you know? Oh my God. And it's like, well, the guy is making a living and I'm sure he does other things where people don't ignore him, but... But yeah, I can imagine that that's really a good place to not only develop chops, but calluses too. A hundred percent. You know, defenses, yeah. A hundred percent. And is that the only job you had? Did you have to, was that? Yeah. Yeah. That was my job. Like I did that, I did that uh, like five nights a week. And how did Um, you, how did that happen? Did you, had you already been doing it or? Yeah, you know what, I, I was like, I was that kid. I mean, I was I was a terrible waitress. I got fired repeatedly mm-hmm. for querying people's wine choice. <laughs> They'd be like, "Are you, you sure know, we'd like the burgundy?" I was like, "Really? Oh God, it's very cheap. You don't want it. It's like vinegar. You don't want to drink that with your nice fish." And they'd be like, "Excuse me," and I'd be like, "You are excused." Yes. And then I get fired. And then I go back to. Um, I always hung around with the musicians. I I just. I, I hung around. I hung around where the music was and yeah. I would stick around when everyone else had gone. And then I'd be like, what's happening now? And they'd be like, oh, we're going back to Bob's house and we're going to play more music. I was like, great. And because I was, I was quite square. I didn't drink and I didn't do drugs and I was just really keen. And so I think I was probably quite annoying, but I was relentless about hanging around. Yeah. And the th- good thing about being relentless and hanging around something that you love is that invariably someone doesn't show up or get sick or isn't able to do it and you're right there when they need someone. <laughs> <laughs> you literally yeah. are always there. So yeah. this just the, the odds are that you're going to get a shot if you just yes. hang around. It's the so first qualification. First qualification it, for any job is being by, by there. The way, be yeah. there. Yeah. Just be there. But I'm yeah. a big I'm a big fan of hanging around. I yeah. really am. I'm like, if you like something, go hang around where people do that thing. Mm-hmm. Like it 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 may take a minute, but I really am. It's like that's actually that's actually advice I would hand out to anybody. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, there are plenty of success stories that that you can point to. They found what they liked and they hung around. They found a group and it's, you know, that's whenever any, a kid has asked me for advice, I say, I don't know, find it, you know, and whether it's whatever you're doing, if you you know, because it's usually comedy, go somewhere where people are doing sketch comedy or improv. And even if you're not, you know, even if it doesn't, your career in air quotes doesn't catch fire, you'll be around fun people that you relate exactly to. Right. And that's pretty great. That's like. That's like 60% of life is just finding a group of people to hang around with. I, which leads me to, I really have this theory that, that aiming for like 100% of anything is that's the problem. Mm-hmm. We, like 60% should, should be the new 100%. Yeah. Like you don't, nothing is ever 100% and mm-hmm. neither should it be. Like mm-hmm. there's no, you leave yourself no room to go anywhere, to do anything. Mm-hmm. You don't leave room for failure. You don't leave room for further success or evolution. Like 60 is the new 100. Yeah. that You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm getting T-shirts made up. I'll cut you in on them, though. Good, thanks uh, so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're singing in, in restaurants. Uh, you're, you're getting good. And then what? Well, so... A few things is this in happened. London, by the way, or is this still in? Yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah. is in London. Yeah, a few things happened simultaneously. So, I, I had been basically, it was the advent of house music. You know, house mm-hmm. music kind of bust its way out of Chicago and found its way to England, and and these big raves were happening in barns and fields across the UK in this one particular summer after I graduated. Um, And it was kind of amazing. 
And again, because I wasn't really the big drinker or the big drug taker, I would be driving the car with all of the people in it. And we'd arrive in this place. You'd get this kind of secret location and you'd follow a bunch of cars and you'd, you'd go down the freeway and you'd drive for like an hour and a half, two hours, and you'd wind up in this field and there would be this insane sound system and this amazing DJ and this whole, this new music, like this house music mm-hmm. was all new and it was all sampled stuff and beats and and everyone was taking ecstasy and everyone was doing, and you dance for, you know, six, Till seven hours. the sun hours. came up, yeah. Yeah. So I would do that except without the augmentation and I would literally basically come face to face with the, sort of oblivion that I felt. And I was like, I'm just going to dance. I'm just going to like be in this music. And I don't know what's going to happen, but like, this is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And so I do that on the weekends. And like, there was this, there was this kid, there was this other kid who also didn't really do drugs and drink. And we'd always find ourselves sitting. Like, I don't know how we weren't friends. I didn't know her. We would sort of, I'd end up bringing like a thermos flask of tea and like two old <laughs> biddies. We'd like be drinking tea while all these people were wandering around naked trying to find their cars, like as the sun came up <laughs> over the barn with the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And she was this cool, she was this really cool girl. And we like, over the course of like three months, like I would just see her on the weekends at these parties and these things. And she was really cool. And as September was getting closer and like this reality was looming of real life, um, I was in a band, um, and stuff was sort of starting to happen with this band, but also I really wanted to act and I wanted to do all of it. Anyway, at the end of the summer, she was like, what do you do? And I was like, I don't know, I'm supposed to be an actress and I'm a musician. And she was like, oh, she's like, well, I work for a casting director. And I was like, do you? And she was like, yeah, you should come in. You should come and meet her. So I was like, okay, can I come tomorrow? Because it was by now Sunday morning and tomorrow was Monday. Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay. So these, you know, with these two kids. And she, yeah. I went and she worked for like one of the great British casting directors, this amazing woman who was so, thought it was so funny that this total ragamuffin girl wanders in out of a field because her assistant has said, you should meet this girl that I've been raving with all summer. And the fact that she had the, this casting director was like, this is like a weird story. Okay, I'll meet this girl. Yeah. So I went in and she was so bemused and she was like, okay, you got 10 minutes to tell me your life story. So I told a good story and she said, I'm going to call an agent for you. So she called this agent and I could, you know, on those big old telephones, I could hear the agent down the phone and they were like, oh yeah, I saw that girl. She sucks. <laughs> <laughs> she totally sucks we saw her oh, yeah, yeah I you know, know her. Yeah. I know her yeah no we we saw her yeah she's not for us and the cast director who knows I can hear she's like mm. and she's like no 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 she's funny you should meet this girl she's funny she's got something funny about her and the agent's like oh god really and she's like yeah yeah no go on I'll send her over for a cup of tea just give her 10 minutes she'll make you laugh so she sent me over and like I don't know how that happened but like this woman who'd already decided I was absolute pants as we say in England yeah which means rubbish uh she changed her mind and she put me on probation she was like if you can get a job in a month I'll represent you probation (laughs) they're just all that gatekeeper shit is so fucking I know you have to get past the dragons it's like some weird initiation and then you know guess what you you wind up you know realizing that like the grail is actually this terrifying machine that will eat you up you know it's something that you should run in the other direction from not towards i was being pushed out of the job well i mean it is fun there's a lot of fun to be had it's super fun i do just i hate little people making themselves big and that's what that gatekeeping kind of thing always seemed to me. It's like mm. just people that really take a shine to power and they just any little, you know, grasp of power they can have, they just grab onto it. And then, yeah. you know, I'm, and I mean, I guess to be an agent is to judge. You have to judge talent because you have to you, you want to have ta- a talented Stable, not an untalented stable, but yeah, you want to make money. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. You want to make money, and you want to, you want to, you want to. It's you know, it's weirdly creative being an agent. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it 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 requires you to identify proper creative talent, and also, I suppose, commercial talent. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's but, a, yeah, the the and where those overlap. I do want to backtrack and just ask, why didn't you take the drugs? Uh, I think. I mean, everybody. Oh no, was I doing tried. That. No, 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 no. I tried. The, I tried all the drugs. They just weren't for me. Oh, I see. I I tried them, and it just wasn't like I I I didn't want the edges dulled. I see. I liked the edges. Yeah. I like to feel. I like to feel the edge of like. Even, however, maybe it was. I was comfortable with things being painful and that being okay. Like that mm. wasn't. I didn't. I didn't need to kind of create more oblivion. I already felt plenty of it. Oh, okay. Was there any control aspect of it too? Was there the lack? I don't you know? think so because yeah. I'm really. I, I wish I were a bit more controlling. Yeah. Like I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not particularly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I just, I just asked because, um, you know, it's generally accepted that drugs are pretty fun. Um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, they can be pretty fun. And, and especially at that time, that's such, uh, you know, the rave, that the rave doesn't amazing. just mean dancing and, and music. It means drugs, you know, and, and it was well, such a, a movement at the time, you know? It was. I mean, I think that was, you know, and that was, I mean, maybe I just figured it out early on. Yeah. I did, you know, I did the drugs but, and the ecstasy and tried all that stuff and then was like, this is, this is, uh, It. it's funny. It didn't, I, I maybe I was also like on a mission. Like I felt so clearly what it was I mm. wanted to be doing. I didn't, I didn't want to be in a corridor. I, I didn't want to be kind of, waiting for something to happen. I want to be making it happen. I was yeah. incredibly driven for someone who didn't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, yeah. That's the only way I can describe it though. It's like, I didn't want to dull the edges. Well, I'm assuming you got the job within the, the month. I did, yeah. And what I was did. that job? It was a play. It was a play in, in uh, this, this suburb of Manchester called Oldham, which is... <laughs> It's pretty gnarly. It's pretty gnarly. Yeah. It's like I'm trying to think of of you know what's a gnarly suburb of Pennsylvania. Oh, because is it? I mean, country? in of Pittsburgh, of Pitt. Sorry, of Pittsburgh. Oh, I see. What's oh, a gnarly see, suburb of Pittsburgh? That's that's the equivalent. I guess that's the American equivalent. It's like a super urban, hard place to go and be in a play. But I thought it was the greatest thing in the whole world. I mean, yeah. it was the greatest thing in the whole world. And yeah. I had this job. And I love being in this play, and um, and I got signed to I, my the band I was in got signed to Island Records, um, and that was all really exciting. But they all really were doing a lot of drugs, and then I everything see. really did kind of fall apart ah. there. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to stick with the acting and do all of this, um, and yeah. And then, and also too, you don't. You're, you're there is something to traveling alone you know it uh, it yeah. uh, it's it, it it it's easier you, you there's less baggage I could, and yeah. i agree and yeah. i have always really been that way i've yeah. never really been in cliques or groups or and to and it's and that has been painful i think to not i'm still very much like that i'm not part yeah. of i have my friends i have my wonderful friends but it's not a big they're not all friends with each other, if you see what I mean. I'm not in, like, a gang. I understand, yeah. Except one. But that came late, and that was girls who I surf with who have become my really good friends. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know, so, I love how I'm, I'm, like, how I'm like, like, going, is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> sure, it's fine with me. You <laughs> keep your Andy. friends. You Thanks keep Andy. your friends. Yeah. You call them what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to say you are part of a gang and they're called the Crips. <laughs> How dare you? You are part of a gang after all. You fraud. <laughs> you lone wolf fraud. <laughs> all right. Well, then um, when, does, when does the big time come a calling? And also when, what gets you out of England? Well, I made this movie, Circle of Friends, that then did really well in the U.S. I mean, mm -hmm. it was like this little Irish movie, but it it did it did it got a lot of attention in the U.S. And I came to America, and it was um, it was this big success, and it was very unexpected. It was I did not mean to move to New York. I didn't mean I I didn't know anything. I kind of thought I was going to be in the theater. Like that was the whole idea. Like you're not really you're not really 
when you were in England, you don't really think I'm going to be a movie star. Well, you mm-hmm. certainly didn't, didn't back then. You think I'm going to be with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I'm going to go and work at the National Theatre. Yeah. I'm going to do that. But they, they weren't buying, again, what I was selling. Mm. So America well, really did. Did did America call or did you just take no? I went. The, the I went for a weekend. The mo- that you know that yeah okay. I went for a weekend and uh, I I uh, and I got a part in a movie on that that long weekend. I was there. I was again another casting director's office, and someone had fallen out of a movie. It all sounds incredibly improbable, but it's all completely true. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe they, you. I'm not. They, I'm not here to. This yeah. is not a, you know. No, it's 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 an corroborated by. Uh, I know. I don't know. I feel. I'm, I don't know why I feel defensive about it because I think when I take it out of context of like the graft, it all sounds like it happened quite easily. But it was. Um, it didn't feel easy. Didn't feel easy, but it did yeah. feel lucky. And that moment felt lucky. I got the part in this movie because an actress had fallen out, and then I just stayed. And while I was shooting that movie in New York, I got another movie that shot in New York, and I just ended up moving to New York. Yeah. Um, I just never went home for two years. Were you in a hotel the, as, at the beginning I was, time? I was in a hotel in the beginning. I lived yeah. at the Mayflower Hotel on Central Park in this fusty, uh, this fusty room. And then some kids who'd gone to college with my sister, they needed a roommate. And so I went and I lived in Chelsea in New York on 22nd Street between 9th and 10th. Mm. Mm. I lived on 22nd between 6th and 7th. Oh, did you? God, it's a nice, oh, it's such a nice block. It's so nice. I love Chelsea. Yeah, it's crazy crowded now, though. It's so crazy now. It was not fancy then. It was like, it was so not what it is right now, but it was, it was amazing. It was really fun. No, I really, I, I, I still kind of miss living in New York. I mean, I'm, I'm soft now from living in Los Angeles. Yeah, Uh, you couldn't, you'd be eaten alive. I mean, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I do. I do find I can get back into just this sort of cortisol raising, uh, just kind of crush of it um, pretty quickly when I've had to go back there for, you know, a week or two or whatever. But, um, yeah, it is hard. My son went to school in New York uh, for his freshman year of college after after having been there a lot. And thinking, I'm going to New York City for college all through high school and being kind of snotty about it. And then he got to New York and lived there for a month and was like, I don't want to be here. I don't like, I only like visiting here. This is too much. It's just too much. And it's it's a lot. It's it's a a lot. lot. When my mother first visited me in my first Hell's Kitchen apartment, she cried all the way to the airport when she saw my apartment. Yeah. Oh my so. gosh! How how was it for you to go to New York? So had, had you been to New York prior? I'd been to, that? to I'd been to New York, yeah. To visit, I'd been to yeah. New York, but just to visit, like you know, as a tourist, right. yeah, yeah. It was crazy. It was it was amazing. It was electric. It was yeah. absolutely amazing. And there was such a there was just such creative people that um, mm-hmm. I hung around with. Um, my sister went to college with Liev Schreiber, and mm. he was like the only person I really knew. And he took me around on his motorcycle that I think he built in Brooklyn where he lived. And he was really, he was a really good friend. Like he, he was like the person that I knew there. And he was like this older, I mean, he's not much older than me, but he was this older guy who was from New York. Right. Um, but I, I loved it. I loved being free. It, it's a good place for a lone wolf, New York. Yeah. What generally, like if you were to generalize, what's the, what did you find the the main difference between living in the UK and living in, I mean. Oh, you're allowed to want to be whatever you want to be in, 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 in New York. Like in England, you just, like I said, it's that, or you coined that phrase, tall poppy syndrome. It's really unseemly to be ambitious Mm -hmm. and to want to be free and to, to, to not, I think maybe the path to what I wanted to do is so well-worn in England. I needed to be somewhere new. I wanted to be unknown. Yeah. I wanted to figure out who I was. And New York really provided that canvas, mm-hmm. that opportunity. And, you know, I was working a lot. I was working all the time and learning, learning yeah. about acting. That's where I really learned how, how to be an actor was, you know, in these movies, watching other people. And how did you end up uh, in California? 
I mean, oh, my my best friend who was you know one of these kids I was living in this house with in this apartment with, she found out her boyfriend was cheating on her and was like, I'm out of here. I'm moving to California. And I was like, well, I don't really want to stay here if you're not here. You know, I I just, I didn't, it was funny. I was ready. I think I was also ready to kind of go see a bit more of America. Yeah. I was like, all right, California sounds fun. Yeah. Let's do that. Was it, a, so, was it, uh, was there also a component of it that was a ambition, a work thing? I mean, I'd been working in, I'd, I'd made, I was living in, I guess I was living in New York when I did Gross Point Blank. Mm. So I was, I was going backwards and forwards. So I'd been in California. And then at the end of that movie, I, when that's when my friend said, oh, I'm going to move to California for sure, like for good. And I was like, okay, well, I could do that. That would yeah. be fun. Let's do that. But this is all on the never, never. This was all, I was all constantly waiting for someone to tap me on the shoulder and go, okay, you have to go back to England now. Right. Like, and I did that for, you know, the last 26 years. <laughs> Is that still, is there still a little bit of the imposter syndrome? Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's how you don't get complacent where you keep creating new or going down creative roads. Yeah. I do think there's a, uh, you know, it's also when you start thinking that you deserve all the good things that you have, I think there's like a component of mental illness to that. I, you know, I yeah. think that like the people that really, really believe like, especially, especially when you, you know, like when you're in a business that, I mean, and I can, I can only speak for myself, but like I have been richly overpaid for the amount of fun that I have had and hmm. for the and for just the things I've gotten to do and the things I've gotten to see and the places I've gotten to go, I I would have taken a lot less money than what I was paid <laughs> for that. So I can't sit here and go, I earned every penny. It's like no, there were some pennies that were just fell out of the sky. I can't, you know, I don't right. know how you feel about that, but uh, you know, but yeah, no, I, I think I, I deserved every penny. Oh. <laughs> Well, okay. I'm gonna check that off the I list. Would, I would have done it. I, I would have done it for free. Yeah. But I don't I know think about that's for free. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I never had anyone else. I never had anyone else pay for me. Like I never had anyone else. Not not since you know my dad paid my college tuition, which was just huge, and then and that was it. Like yeah. the minute I left, there wasn't any other money, and I never got married, and I've never. I don't know. So I think I really feel like. Every single thing, every single thing, like I earned, yeah. like I earned it. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I think it's harder for, for women to, to, to kind of be, um, to own that. It's mm-hmm. again, we're not really supposed to, it's, we have all different kinds of adjectives applied to us when we are like ambition is a dirty word or, you know, pushy or mm-hmm. a bitch when mm-hmm. applied to men, those are good things. They're strong and tough yes. and yes. forward, forward moving. And it's, it's, uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I take the money. Okay. All right. I'll let you, Thank I'll let you. you have your gang and I'll let you keep your money. Thank uh, God. yes. <laughs> I'll let uh, you keep your money. <laughs> <laughs> How, uh, how did you turn into a Californian then? I mean, how, you know, I mean, was it, was it having a child here? Was that a big step in terms, in, in terms of sort of feeling? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just loved it. I don't know. I don't know the, I just loved it from the minute I, from the minute I got there. I love the way it, it smelled. I love the night blooming jasmine. I love the ocean. I love the dry, crazy desert. I just loved all of it. And that it was all right there. I just felt like it was home. And also it was just, it was so exciting. It was so exciting to be in this town. Like then I thought it was so exciting to be in a town that was, just did this one thing, just had this one industry. And I was in that industry. Like that was astonishing. Um, I didn't have any um, cynicism towards Mm. it whatsoever. I was like, this is the most exciting place I've ever been. Mm -hmm. This place just makes movies everywhere I go somebody is in this business and I'm also in that business. And it, yeah. I couldn't, I think it was the most belonging I've ever felt. And then, you know, 
you take knocks and it gets harder and it's not all plain sailing. And then I think what became my savior really was the Pacific Ocean. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was surfing and swimming and then ultimately living in my little house by the ocean. That was how I managed to stay in, in Hollywood, like yeah. be part of that community. Did cynicism about the industry start to creep in after a while? Well, I mean, I'm not a very cynical person, but Mm -hmm. there's definitely a little bit of, wow, this is very hard, as well as being very fun. Yeah. um, That you realize. But I never never blamed it, because I actually think it's quite honest. Hollywood is very clear about what it is. Yeah. And the parameters of the rules of engagement. Mm-hmm. And you can kid yourself and pretend that they're not clear, but they are clear. Um, so figuring out who you are is a very good thing when you're in, I think, a reality that is um, constantly reinventing itself. Mm-hmm. It's not stable. And you have to get a, you have to be okay with that instability, I yeah. think. How, how old is your son? He's 13. 13. And, and how did having him change your attitude about your work? Well, I, you know, I quit making, no, it it. did. It did. I mean, I quit, I I, I quit making independent movies or going and making movies all around the world. I wanted to be home. I wanted, I very specifically was like, I want to be on a TV show. I want to live near the studio. I want him to go to school near where I live. And I want him to have this rooted life where he, I get to see him. He's not part of a big caravan of tutors and assistants and mm-hmm. on the road and I want to be here and that's that's what I did I did that for eight years yeah I did two tv shows and or three tv shows like it, it was it was a really conscious choice and it was you know incredible to be able to do that mm-hmm. to be able to pivot into something else and then um be a present you know as a single mother so be around and also work and support everything and keep everything going like that was that that it was amazing you know it was an amazing privilege to be to be able to be his mom and to also you know be the breadwinner and make it all happen yeah yeah kids are great kids really sort of um they do put things in perspective that's for sure sure do they even everything out yeah my my ex-sister-in-law said uh, after having a child, she said, uh, having a child really lets you know who the real baby is. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I, That's true. I often thought about that. That's true. Know? That's good. And, That's really know, true. It's because you do like, oh, yeah, right. It's it's not about me anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, it really isn't. I want to I want to yeah. ask you about about your book. Uh, you have a memoir that's just out just recently. Yeah. Yeah. And it's called yeah. uh, Managing Expectations. Mm-hmm. And um, I bet it's about managing expectations. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me like, about the process. Like, how did, how, what made you think, okay, I'm going to write a book? Was it just COVID? Was it like, I got to do something? No, no. I mean, that was, you know, that, that, that created the space to, in order to do it. But, you yeah. know, it was very much, you know, I've told other people's stories my whole life, and it was really reach a point where, I, you know, I know that I'm a writer. I've always been a writer. It was just never for, it was just something else that I did. And I felt like there was a way of shaping these stories, which are really, all the stories are just connected by the central thesis that your life not working out is invariably some version of life working out, just not how you anticipated initially. Mm. So, um, it's a it's a it's a memoir, but it's not a. I was born and five thirty five p.m. on January thirty first in London. You know, it's not that kind of a memoir. Yeah, yeah. It's it's stories um, that are connected. Yeah. And um, what was what was the process? I mean, did someone come to you? I, I I'm always just kind of curious about the nuts and bolts of things. Like, do you I, go to someone and say, "I have an idea"? Do you have to? Well, write it was an COVID, outline? right? So yeah. everyone was just around. Yeah. So I crafted a proposal for a book. And then, you know, the agency that I'm at, then everyone was sitting around and they have a book department. And so I became acquainted with an agent there who is <laughs> amazing. 
And who was home? Who was home? (laughs) And you know, I was like, I sent this proposal. I was like, I don't know. Like, I doubt this is going to be something. Like, I don't know. But I've, I, I, this is what if I were going to write a book, this is what it would look like. Yeah. And she was amazingly supportive, and she helped me craft it a little bit and shape it. And then we went, and I did all these Zoom meetings with. She then sent it out to publishers, and then they say some people went nah, and some people went yeah. And then I had meetings with the people that said, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's how it happened. It was, so yeah, it was just begin. You Were know, you always happy with the process and the product? No, it was so difficult. Yeah. You know, it was, it was difficult. It was difficult finding time to write when there was no form to your day in COVID. And then I went back to work and I, you know, was worrying about my kid and then finding the time and the discipline to write. And then my mother died in the middle of writing the book and that created this whole other sort of nightmare of not being able to write about anything except her dying. And then kind of writing my way out of that and back into life. And then the whole book had a different shape because she died and Mm. she was such a huge influence in my life. So it it was a pretty extraordinary journey for me personally that started out somewhere, something that was kind of gentle and we were all, everyone, the world was experiencing this lockdown and I was just going to go and tell some stories and it ended up being something that was incredibly, um, I lent on it hugely when she died Mm. um, and became very healing and I think is, I don't know, I think it's helped articulate um, a lot about grief from what I hear from people's response to the book you know, um, a lot about what it is of what loss looks like and also what incredible enjoyment of life and how they're, again, they are, they are sublimely linked. Mm -hmm. When, uh, what, what's now your son is 13. So, you know, you, you have a child that's sort of grown and a little more self-sustaining. Uh, what, what's, is there anything sort of on the horizon for you that, you know, that's, that would be a surprise or is it kind of just to continue to act? And I mean, are you, are you going to get back into films more now that? Well, I've got, um, I have three, I have three films. I have two films coming out this year and I have another two coming out next year. So there's definitely more films coming out. Um, I want to write more. I mean, I'm going to write more and, um, yeah, explore, explore that, explore that and, and keep on making things. You know, that's what I'm, I, I, I have no idea what my purpose is or what any of our purpose is, but I do know that, um, um, I know that I'm a good storyteller. Like I've done that all my life and I'm practiced at it and I'm interested in exploring like what that looks like mm-hmm. and how to continue doing that in, in lots of different mediums what do you want people to take away from from your story um i think that it is um the thing you know it's okay when things don't don't work out they it can be really really hard um but it is invariably a deeply creative stuff not working out because there isn't really any end it's always just something else beginning. Um, so kind of hanging on, hanging around, staying open to yeah. what what might unfold, I think is, is part of the thesis of the book um, and mm-hmm. that we're all messy human beings having a messy human experience and it doesn't matter whether you're a movie star or whether um, you're a teacher or you work in a bookshop or in a supermarket, we are we are all fundamentally the same. Um, so I hope there's some, you know, community and camaraderie in the book as well. I'm just a messy human. And that would have been a good title too. Well, there's, you know, book two, return of book, right. Andy. <laughs> return of book. I'm a messy human. But then it'll really be, you know, the onus will be on you to be messy publicly. Well, you know what? That can look. I, I've never not been messy. I don't think. I mean, you know. Well, there's messy, and then there's messy. 
Well, yeah, so. it depends on your definition of mercy, I guess. Right. Well, thank you so much You're for so taking welcome. the time. Thank you. Uh, thank it you. was a, a, a wonderful talk, and I'm so glad that you that you consented to spend some time <laughs> here virtually with me. Uh, and uh, and do you want to do you want to tell people about the movies, the movies that are coming out? Uh, yeah, there's a there's a beautiful movie which will be, um, I think it'll be on Hulu, um, called uh, Rosaline. That's coming out, uh, a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. Very funny, very beautiful movie. And then yeah, I have that, a movie for- It's from the point of view of Romeo's ex-girlfriend. That sounds funny. That's exactly funny. right. Yeah, it's yeah. really funny. It's really funny. And um, I mean, she's not even his ex-girlfriend. Like she's actually his girlfriend. <laughs> and Juliet <laughs> is the interloper. It's really, it's really funny. It's great. Oh, that's great. Um, and then this incredible movie called Chevalier, which is um, Stephen Williams directed. It's for Searchlight. And it is it is an extraordinary story that I think is going to blow people away. And I, I will leave it at that. But people. Okay. Um, it's yeah, a biopic, it's, correct? Yeah. About yeah. a man called Chevalier du Saint-Georges, which I strongly suggest that you um, Google that dude and find out about him because he was an immense talent and has kind of been excised from history. But this film, I think, will change that. So it's okay. great. Yeah. All right. Well, any others here that maybe that's like. Yeah, I'll just tell you about those ones. I'll tell yeah, you about yeah. the, the other ones yeah, yeah. for next year, next, next year, Andy. Next time, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Minnie, thank you so much. And thank, thank you. all of you. You you're, are very welcome. And thank all of you out there for listening. And uh, I'll be back next week. Bye-bye. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a grow? Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at the coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 